Hello and welcome to E-Commerce Matters, the podcast brought to you by Black Curve. Black Curve helps e-commerce businesses make pricing decisions. Today's title is Profit Killing Competitor Pricing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. There we go. Where shall we start? Uh, I think it's probably just worth having a having a quick uh, quick agenda because I think we should we we got to stick with some kind of structure for these uh, for these podcasts, don't we? So so to set the scene, what we're going to do is we're going to start by um, actually looking at what do we mean by competitor pricing because I think you know, what is it? Because a lot of people have some preconceptions about what it is. Just to make sure we we're putting our textbook. Uh, foundation in which to, to answer um, this particular question of the podcast today. We're then actually going to dive into some media articles. So I hope, Rob, that you've got uh, you've you've done your research and uh, and you've got a lot of lot of good content to share on that. Just really to find out out there are there any case studies that we can we can maybe dive into a bit more detail about um, about potentially where some retailers and e-commerce companies have fallen foul of using competitor pricing and also you know we're, we're going to talk about the positives as well where it where it's worked um, and that that sort of ties in nicely we're going to tackle it in two halves uh, we're going to look at the positives of competitor-led pricing and then we're going to move on to looking at the negatives of competitor um, competitor-led pricing we may introduce and I'm pretty confident we will uh, the concept uh, of a price war uh, although I might I might tease you with uh, with how my alternative of what I think uh, I think it should be described as and how you should tackle the problem and then we're going to end on actually answering the question for the podcast so that normally does help we'll look at how to avoid competitor pricing mistakes it's almost like a a, a 101 for how you should make pricing decisions. Uh, does that agenda sound okay to you, Rob? Yeah, 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 yeah. Sounds, uh, sounds bang on. It's almost you, like you, we talked about it beforehand. Yeah, you told you told <laughs> me before this that you before we actually started recording that you had prep. So uh, that's always that's always a good start, <laughs> isn't it? Um, so, uh, Rob, what is competitor pricing? Yeah, so I think for the for the sake of this, it's worth saying that. Um, we're talking about price matching, really. So it, it's using um, competitor data to lead your pricing strategy, and that could either be to match your competitors or, or people who you think are, are your key competitors on like-for-like products or undercutting them. I think that, that for me, is really what I think we're talking about. Is that fair? That's exactly it. So it's, it's the ability to go and collect competitor prices, First and foremost, to find out, you know, what what else there in the marketplace, what products are my competitors selling, and am I also selling those prices? And then it's making your pricing decision off the back of what the market is doing. So there's an interesting uh, addendum to this that I came across in my research that I did. Um, <laughs> You've got, I hope you're going to uh, reference all of your sources uh, for today. Yeah, I can with this one, but it's um, it's a price match promise. So, um, and that that for me is super interesting because this is um, this is kind of like a almost a manual pernicious price. It's the same pricing behavior, right? If you find the the theory being, if if you found a competitor with a lower price. Uh, we'll happily match that for you because 
we're going to lose a sale otherwise kind of thing. Um, and AO do it, Curry's do it. So, see, non-fashion, <laughs> <laughs> non-grocery. Um, well, well like, I was going to say that, uh, that that I was shopping on uh, Wiggle yesterday. Other retailers <laughs> are available. And uh, I noticed that I had... You, not to me. <laughs> I, had, uh, I had noticed that... Uh, that um, that they had a chat feature that it was, it was price promise as you say and they had a chat feature and almost instantly live you sort of share the source and they verify mm. it and then and then I, I I haven't done it because clearly I don't shop around enough I just purchase what uh, what I see but obviously if you're buying branded goods that are available elsewhere uh, they will just give you a code or something and and, and match it at the checkout because I, I think that that in effect is is what a lot of competitive price stra- strategies are, are trying to do just at at scale, um, and I think we'll we'll drill into kind of why that's a good thing, but also why that when that can go wrong, kind of further further into the podcast. Yeah, because I mean, as you say, if you've got you just touched upon it, if if you've got the person there and all the signals are saying they're going to buy, and then they give you that feedback to say, "Hey, I want to buy from you." You know, can you can you match this? That's a good. That's a good, mm. you know, what w- you've probably spent a lot of money to get them to your store. So, you know, you better taking that, that order then or you better holding your nerve. So, so yeah, so I think I'm, you know, I, I think there's lots of different directions we can go with this. So um, shall we, shall we move on then to what, what, what the media is saying or rather what your, what your research is saying? I'll ask you to share your, your homework first and then uh, to see, see what, what I come up, come with after that. Yeah. Cause I, I the, f- the funny thing with this is that we've, we kind of, we see the world differently, so it's it's quite interesting because I, I tend to see the world in generalities, and you tend to be a bit more specific. Because all I got when I googled this stuff is that currently, post COVID, there are price wars everywhere, right? And I, I mean everywhere. I I can go through my list, but we I've got PR companies, oil and gas, <laughs> groceries, holidays, airfares. So not not just kind of it's not just e-commerce. It's just very much a culture of of kind of almost glut of supply right um and that that is forcing uh, people rightly or wrongly to have to compete on price because businesses are in survival mode um there are kind of more the interesting thing is the examples we know of in the case studies we've seen are kind of a lot of them are pre-covid as well so i don't so a key example was asos right so they famously price matched with their competitors and it turned out that's not why people were buying for them. They lost a load of margin um, because they fundamentally misunderstood the relationship with the customer. I'd, I, I, would, I would hazard a guess. But really, I think we've gone now to this period of people sorting their supply chains out or online, so more relevant to our environment, or not being able to shift anything or whether that whether that is is services or holidays or or whatever i mean think of it all as a commodity right and then that oversupply is leading to price reductions sale at any cost and kind of forcing price wars um and when you get into that that is just a competitor pricing loop right what are they selling out well i need to shift this so i need to sell less and then they respond and then they respond and then you start this kind of negative downward spiral yeah, because there's certainly a case of I think some customers probably didn't have almost inadvertently entered into a price war just because they they did they sort of you know they they might have been doing well during um, 
during the, the pandemic, during the, the specific lockdown period. And then as other retailers in the sector maybe haven't done as well, if you're set up to match against them, you know, you're almost inadvertently brought into the war, whether or not you wanted to or not, isn't it? It's, uh, yeah, the, I completely agree. The, one of the key things is businesses failing and liquidation of stock. I mean, we've spoken about it before, but if that is driving prices down, the question, we talked about holding your nerve before and wondering whether you can or not, but if you're just following competitor prices, you're going to take a margin hit um, and you'll be forced to if you, if you need if you're just if you need to keep selling yeah so i mean were there any particular um particular articles you wanted to wanted to raise uh at all i mean i've got one from the the sun today because we've got to start we've got to start uh uh you know i don't know is the sun described as middle england i don't know it's sort of well, how, would, how, how do you describe the sun <laughs> uh, so i think the the article that they've got um uh, was high street shops launch price war as battle of the sales begins with up to 70% off. And I think uh, if we scroll down, even even it's it's not just fashion, right? It's Curry's PC World up to 60% yeah. off. Um, what else have they got? You know, they've got they've got electronic companies, appliance companies in there that are, that are, that are massively having discounts. Um, who, what else have we got here? Um I mean, even just just maybe to to go into a bit more of the 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 theory behind it, um, we got here that Digital Commerce three sixty dot com. You know, just as much as Black Curve, uh, we'd like to get all your all your information from Black Curve. There are there are obviously other um, other outlets there that do give do give detailed statistics, and um, it's interesting. It says Amazon is actually on average people's first port of call for mm-hmm. shopping so one thing that i hadn't appreciated that um that the shopping habits is i just assumed actually it was google and then amazon but it, they're saying here that 54.3 percent of consumers go to amazon first for shopping online and then they go to google which is 14.5 percent um and then it's and then it's then it's the other the other areas and it says that this presents a problem for retailers that want to maximize their margin because if you're being outpriced by amazon you just it just naturally ends up being a position whereby you're just forced to go down that that route especially if you're selling on on marketplaces yeah i mean the uh, the amazon thing is a real i mean it's my it's my route right because i mean i would say other services are available there isn't really another service like prime in in effect where i any product i bought some visors for pub golf uh, last night <laughs> and uh, I get them tomorrow did do you know what I mean like um, it's really really hard to compete with and it, it's really problematic because they control the marketplace and they sell within the marketplace which is really pernicious like I know there's a lot of chat about anti-competition and and the rest of it going on but that that for real t- retailers is really problematic especially at a point where COVID has forced people's buying habits to change and people really aren't comfortable. I'm, I, I don't want to go to a shop really now. Um, I'll go, go and buy what I deem as essentials, but the drive for me to go to a retail shop and buy something there, if I know I can get it online, which is quote unquote a safer experience for me, I'm, go- I'm going to do that. Um, so there needs to be some driver and they're clearly saying the driver is price reduction. Yeah, and I mean, they go on to say that 
67% of retailers have a have some form of price optimization system that that enables them to track competitor pricing, right? Um, and it's interesting that that I suppose without without giving the conclusion away, I think the um, the turning point is the ones that are that are being successful are ones that are investing further in tools that don't necessarily just focus on being the lowest price product, but it allows them to also automatically raise the price. So you're focusing on on profitability, profit margin over necessarily being the the lowest the lowest price product. So we won't, we won't go into too much into that now, but let's just let's just uh, let's just we're, we're, we're teasing the listeners and, and the viewers at this stage just to sort of set the scene. Um, I mean, another one I saw um, of from it was from the marketinginteractive.com and it said uh, opinion the end of e-commerce as we know it, and it says that actually discoverability is is a key component um with the market with with you driving traffic to your website it's a dogfight to get visibility especially when we're talking about how can people's you know individuals consumer habits is is mobile related right so you know you've got less chance to get your to get your name out there um so it says that so most small businesses end up having to spend a lot of money to get discovered and then (laughs) And then more and more or less, they're selling the same or similar product. And it usually comes down to a price war for them to win. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, so I, you know, I, I want to, I hope as part of this, uh, you know, that, that I want to, I want to challenge people's, um, especially small businesses and newer businesses that, that price obviously is one way to win. Absolutely. I'm not, I'm not, not here to say that, that being the cheapest doesn't necessarily always win that order, but it's about being, only being the cheapest when you have to and and not not having that as your default setting yeah, but but also there's a there's a deeper question there that, that that thing ignores which is about business defensibility right yeah. it's the same it's the same thing we have in as a tech company it's the same thing as if the only reason people are buying for you is price you're going to end up in a price war right so for a really good example of this is um i don't know say say want to another build your own website thing but <laughs> say i say i find a product on aliexpress and i build a front uh, a front end in shopify and i just sell that product mm-hmm. right and i hook that up and i really all i've done is found a product and built a web page that is not a very defensible business in any way shape or form and really i'm in a competition about my cost with anyone else who wants to sell that product. So if I think I'm digitally innovative enough to knock the cost base completely down, fine. Then you can compete on price, then you can undercut. Or if I'm doing it as a hobby and I don't actually need to make money, then I, I mean, but, but it's hard to think of examples at scale where lack of product defensibility in this case doesn't lead you into a price war. Because if someone else can pick it up and sell it easily you really are just competing on cost base and and that's it and kind of minimum margin you know this i mean this is where where all the other factors come to come to play mm-hmm. isn't it so uh you know like you've, you've got to you, know, the, the, you can invest in in customer experience and 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 right it's not if if if, if you're just setting up a retail outlet or you just are going to win by focusing on price to a certain extent that's not you know, you're 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 going to be looking. You're going to be kicking yourself and wishing that you'd done something else. So you because your uh, your wiggle price match thing is a really really good example because 
Um, again, I also saw Global Shop. They they're really good at building customer loyalty because they consistently they stock well, they discount well, their product selection is very good. So that it is the kind of company where I think, well, if I'm going to spend the money, I'd actually rather give it to this company. And so so for them, they're not they're not competitor matching across all products, but they're happy to do it on specific products. So that becomes quite a smart strategy for me because they know they they then know they've got my loyalty. Another example I've seen of that in the press recently is there's a lot of noise about Tesco going to war on Audi, right? Um, kind of, I mean, Tesco's market share is still huge, but they're, they're under pressure from these cheaper, cheaper, quote-unquote, supermarkets. And part of their strategy, aside from that, which is really smart, is to offer it to club card holders. Mm. So you bake it into the into the loyalty program, right? So... Tesco have always been at the the forefront of using using customer data and using that club card data to really drive customer experience. But um, I think it's especially clever in this case because you're you're using that to build loyalty. So you're 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 building it in. You're using price and price matching to 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 grow your customer base. So that and you have to be able to make the bet that you can you can take the hit and win the war, right? But um, that 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 is a really good snowball, so that when you come out the other side, you've you've changed people's behavioural patterns, right? Because that's very different from saying I'm just going to go out there and beat them at all costs, right? That mm-hmm. that is you are you're investing in the relationship with the consumer, and that that I think is a difference. And you know, without to to drag too much onto the Wiggle example, you know, they are very much investing in the relationship first and foremost. And and then and then it's on certain products and also you know the, the the price matching comes in later because you know as we will look at there is a time to price match and there's a time when you don't have to price match and if you've invested in that loyalty piece invested in all the wrapper around that the times when you have to price match becomes fewer and fewer and fewer right um, and it'll be interesting to see from a Tesco point of view as well if uh, if they're only going to price you know if I'm if I'm always buying I don't know. Uh, I've got a young baby. I'm always buying nappies. Am I only going to get my price match on the nappies as opposed to, you know, another product that that if you were shopping at Tesco's, you you would you would get a discount on that. So I think it's 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 interesting from from that perspective. Um, the other the other one that I wanted to to look at is just bringing the the concept of I think because people people immediately assume that this was this particular piece was from Entrepreneur Magazine and it said. I think it's because because it's so easy to set up an e-commerce business now, right? And you've 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 touched so, upon it. So YouTube tells me. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it is this. It's not only the commoditization of the ability to set up an e-commerce business; it's the commoditization of of uh, of products and the ability for the consumer to get hold of that product from multiple multiple locations, right? I mean, in a bygone era when when we didn't have that, you, all you could do was turn up at your high street and you had a, you had a couple of options, and so so it was a very different very different very different feel and i think there's this there's then this this just assumption that that price becomes the sticking point and i think um you know this this sort of says that one of the pieces we move on to is talking about price wars and it's it's not a long-term solution because it is very much it creates a weaker market for everybody and that's what Mm -hmm. i you know the consumer might feel in the short term they're winning 
but they won't still win if we are in a position where well the retailers start closing down or you know we for, because the margins aren't there they can't invest in getting more products and more options and so forth and so that's I mean, we've got I mean, to that, think about that that. Uh, that that is the key right i mean long the the long-term play of a price well is to destroy your competition right that that's what you're saying i've got i've got better cost base deeper product pockets whatever i'm vc backed who knows um i'm gonna go so cheap that no one else can afford uh to exist in this marketplace and then i'm gonna dominate it right a- afterwards and yeah it's incredibly anti-consumer when you come out the other side because there is no competition there is no competition so uh, and, th- and that becomes the problem um, it's whoever's got the most cash in the bank to to ride it out yeah. to a certain extent, doesn't it? That's what it that's what it comes mm. down to. Um, so 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 the last article, both you and maybe the uh, the the podcast listeners might be might be pleased to hear for this stage. Um, <laughs> I've gone I've gone across. Well, I'd already gone across the pond with with Entrepreneur Magazine, but this particular one is from uh, CNBC dot uh, com, and and the title says Price Wars and E-commerce Investment to Weigh on Retailer Profit profits moody's says and it goes on to say that uh, retailers are engaging in pricing wars and investing in future growth as they battle for market share and it's taking a toll on their performances and they're they're predicting that 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 profit growth is going to be cut from sort of five to six percent to to two to two and three percent so year on year from a growth point of view so it's it's clearly um you know, we're, we're entering in an interesting, interesting period. It felt very doom and gloom. It felt like there was a lot of negativity around uh, ar- around this. Uh, do, do you agree uh, with that? I, th- mm, I think in the press, there's a lot of negativity because it sells. I think from a retailer perspective, there's a lot of opportunity. And there is actually a huge amount of opportunity for smaller businesses that can be more nimble. Um, we've spoken about this before. Because the uh, I think the real challenge is that the real trend, I think, or one of the key trends in retail, especially bricks and mortar, has been touch, in touch enabling, right? And so there's been huge investment into these really kind of cool experiences in store and elsewhere. And that is now just dead, <laughs> at least short term, and uh, at least for a year or two minimum, I would have thought with everything that's going on. Um, plus for the growth plus a massive acceleration in the growth of online. So, um, yes, there will be, it's going to be messy. Businesses will go under. There's going to be blood on the tracks kind of thing. But there's a huge amount of opportunity. And as we as we mentioned, it's actually very, these, so something like BigCommerce, the, these ecosystems exist, right? There are app stores. We're on them. You can go and click on it, install the software, um, and get up and running and get digital quite quickly. And that's much easier if you're a smaller business than if you've got, I don't know, 10,000 employees, 100 store locations, blah, 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 blah. So, um, yeah, it's going to be rough, but the financial crisis was rough for a lot of people. We both graduated during then. We know how rough that was finding a job, but actually out of that, the growth out of that of companies like Facebook was e- exponential, right? So there's certainly opportunity there. Yeah, I mean, I think the the e-commerce sector is is if, if if they invest in the right areas, you know, a lot of them are doing phenomenally well at the moment. Um, you know, I, I, and and just I mean, 
I went into to town earlier because I had to get my son son a pair of shoes. And if I'm honest, it was frightening. Like you know, yeah. and 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 it's totally put me off. I mean, we went into um, went into Clark's actually when they they did really really well, right? Okay, so they had all the precautions. Just want to say, but my two and a half year old, right? He sits down to get some shoes, and they put this giant glass screen in front of him. And then the woman, um, the, the, the the shop assistant had a giant visor and she basically had to try help him put on the shoes and test it. And she put her arms round the screen to tie, to, to, to tie up the shoes and check they were right and measure him. And my poor boy was like, he's pretty, pretty robust, but he was just totally taken aback by so it. And it was not a nice experience. Sweak me out. Like, yeah. uh, we've been conditioned by weird sci-fi films. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's that, yeah. just like... <laughs> So I think no, so I, I think it's 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 you know I think yeah I, 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 again I don't want this to be to be doom and gloom but I think those kind of experiences are just going to encourage people even more than they have done to actually go do you know what I don't need to go to the high street I've 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 reattempted it I'm going to go I'm going to actually commit to buying online yeah it's a, it's a time for innovation so it's not going to be a good time for shareholders dividends right but it's we're not in that phase we're about survival and innovation so companies that are investing well and the real question is that's going around i think is what to invest in because i don't think anyone's got any idea and anyone will have any idea for for some time really uh, black earth probably something like that <laughs> online pricing but, no, no, but, like, but realistically it's the kind of companies that that build that culture of innovation in are, are likely to be more successful on average than ones that don't right absolutely so Shall we bring it back in then to uh, to, to tackling the, the question? So I think we've, you know, it's not all doom and gloom, but I think certainly we have a lot of the media articles we've shared and the research showed, you know, it sells, right? Negativity sells. So let's look at the positives of competitor pricing. You know, where does it work well? Well, I mean, realistically, if you take an efficient market theory, you should all be around the same price. Um, if you're all the same, the um, the it's it's interesting, right? Because like you're supposed to use your sales or whatever to to set price to to find the optimum price for the product and the rest of it. Um, but realistically, that's hard to do. It takes a lot of time. The quickest way to do it is for people to look at what their competitors are doing and find kind of find the right gauge and then play around with it. And honestly, not really supposed to say this, but honestly, I think it works broadly well in most normal conditions. If the market's behaving normally, the product is quite and quite normal. It's it's not like it's a commoditized product. Or, yeah, yeah, it's like FMCG kind of thing. Yeah, it seems sensible. Um, if you suddenly and and it's in, and it's interesting as well because I you can. You can use it to work out, like, well, you know your cost base, you know the margin you want to make, and if it's uh, wildly out of line, um, then that's fine. It's also like it's also a lot of it is enforced anyway for the supplier side, depending on depending on what you're doing. So really, uh, it's also useful to work out if people are playing by the rules. I've spoken to people who, who part of their interest in competitive pricing data, not just in their pricing strategies, to work out that everyone's playing fair. Um, so, so my short answer is that actually it works quite well most of the time, as long as things don't go mental. 
<laughs> uh, also known as a price war yes i think yeah. it's a, um i mean yeah I, I i would i would certainly echo that uh, i mean where we've we've done research whereby we've tried to we've, we've done tests where we've tried to ignore competitors on certain products and then we've rapidly identified that that has had a reduction in sales because you know clearly people are making their decision to buy that particular product based on based on price so um i mean you know we've we've got various stats but on on average I'd say actually it's worth adding to that because when you identify those products the only place you can go is down right um that, that that's the key so and we'll, we'll get into that in the price war bit but realistically you want a price match because that that in theory is the the, the maximum the best price to set the marketplace it's the maximum margin you can make on a product so for think for yeah let, let's be more scientific for kind of highly competitive highly commoditized highly available goods um competitor price matching works very well because it actually sets the ceiling on on the margin you can obtain in the marketplace yeah and it's it's roughly about where you have an overlap on average we see about 50 percent of the time that you have to be within the market, and we've 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 tried to uh, it, on those products. We've tried to be clever. We've tried to throw the rule book at them of looking at other data sets, and it's just the market is setting the price for those products. And no matter what you do, what you what other stuff you invest in, what other clever analytics you do, you've got to follow the market, and therefore doing competitor pricing is a sensible thing to do. It is a positive thing to do if you want to make sure you're selling. And the uh, the the decision around that product isn't a price driven one, if that makes sense. It's a uh, it's a business driven one. It's should I hold this product or not? Am I happy with the margin I'm making on that product? Because do I need to sort out my cost base or do or, or my supply chain or I, I need to optimize somewhere else? Because you're there is actually very little you can do in uh, in terms of price, and you see that in the data, right? Because you you see that over time because we tend to see a lot of price moves initially for those kind of products as we kind of get them at the right point in the market based on where other people are and then they um and then they stay static right um because realistically if the um if the market if theoretically i should say if the market was correct you should be able to look at the price of it in the market and just set the price of it because that's the market price right <laughs> I mean, not not to be too uh, trite about it, and and that, and that really comes back to highly available FMCG like goods. I think that, uh, it works really well, and I don't think there's much else you can do. If I, if I'm honest, from a pricing perspective. So then, if we if we go on to the reverse of that, though, um, I mean, one of the the stats that I mentioned is that. On average, right, so it's it depends on the sector. Where there's a competitor overlap, we follow the competitor price 50% of the time. If your pricing strategy is solely competitor-led, based on that, you're, if, you're, if you're applying that principle across your whole inventory, so 100% where you have an overlap, 50% of the time you don't need to follow the competitor. So therefore, if they are, if they are dropping the price and you're following them, you are giving away margin. You are essentially giving away money for free. Like you, 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 you don't need to do that. And that is, that is a negative behaviour for your business. It's gonna, it's gonna affect your business negatively. 
completely agree. Um, and it's without the other. It's for the other data sets come in, but without the other data, you don't really know. Um, that that's the things. Um, it it is also very hard to know what a like what a true competitor is and what a like for like product is because there's so many factors beyond price that really impact this. Probably more than price in some cases. So ad spend, right? Accessibility, delivery time, um, it, which is a key. Like, like for me now, because I'm my ability to plan is next to nil. Uh, delivery time is probably a determining fact the determining factor for me in buying a product rather than price quite within reason. And I will find substitute products. Uh, I know this because I did it. I went, I was buying some waders, for, but this is <laughs> Philip does outdoor, I do fishing, but uh, both outdoor pursuits. So. Yeah. Both outdoors, both less useful in lockdown. Um, <laughs> but I, there, there's a shop I, I buy from, regularly similar it's a wiggle equivalent but they've had an absolute mare uh, during coronavirus um and i won't i won't name names because it's not fair but um and it, it meant that because i'm fishing this weekend i had to go go to amazon and prime it and, and it's a key that is a key factor outside of price and i ended up spending uh, probably a, a bit more on a slightly different product um but it was the supply and stock that was the core and, and actually the not the stock the delivery time of it that was the core issue not the not the price so and you don't know that from the data that sorry to loop back to what i was trying to say i'm a bit of a ramble there but um when you scrape the data yes you can get an idea of stock levels yes you might be able to get an idea of delivery times um but people it might surprise you but people lie about stock levels <laughs> All the bloody time, on, especially on their Google shopping, because they, um, they just, uh, they might they're probably not lying about whether it's in stock or not, but the the exact levels are probably not true or not. So we have ten um, plus, which means you have ten. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Um, so it's there's a huge number of other factors, not just price, and that probably means you could charge a I probably would have paid ten percent more on the other shop because I like the other shop. Actually because it I wouldn't have gone to another site and looked. And and that I wouldn't have done the price comparison thing because I, I like this shop. I've got a good relationship with them. I bought stuff for them for years. Um because they do a very good perception actually and when I have checked in the past that the discounts are fair, like they all, all that good stuff that we were talking about earlier. So they probably don't have to price match at all, actually, it, on quite a lot of the products I buy for them because I'm not price matching in, in my head. I'm not I, I'm not doing that. I'm sure other people are, but uh, so it's a, you know, it's a, it's it's the classic that if you invest in your brand, if you invest yeah. in the relationship with the customer, you build loyalty and you can't build loyalty through price because that just that just that just treats the consumer in a fickle the relationship's quite fickle if it's just price i suppose uh so so therefore so you're going to shop I around completely disagree with that but i don't think you can build loyalty through competitor price map, uh through i don't know how to phrase it because i think through price stability and through honesty yeah. and through 
price like yeah stability robustness these kinds of words like fair price fair pricing that's the word through fair pricing fair price matching you absolutely can build loyalty through price right absolutely um but it is only it is necessary not sufficient i think is the is the key for me yeah maybe i should have said you it's it's a it's a risky game to read loyalty through simply saying i'm going to be the cheapest yeah that i completely agree with yeah yeah um, um it's just it's not actually necessary for the consumer but possibly for your business <laughs> <laughs> well i mean even um john lewis has um have they definitely about turned on their never knowingly undersold uh i they, don't know if it's know for they? sure but i had to, uh, there's a there's a number of uh people are across the board many industries uh insurance aviva have stopped price matching so there's there is clearly um i was gonna say and Wil- of, wilco's uh yeah. which have, have you know they 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 do actually market in terms of that that they are cheaper but it's marketed in terms of valuable low products like as in they'll they'll be they'll be useful for you every day every day low prices rather than necessarily we're price matching they're they're but investing this, in is a, this is the smart play it's the segmentation of the inventory if to go back to the tesco thing it's like yes match on commodity products right match on bread milk bananas whatever right um because that actually will keep people coming to your store, right? And then they'll buy the other stuff. They'll buy the more high-end. I mean, I, I actually think <laughs> Waitrose do that incredibly well. And I'll tell you for why. Because Waitrose is obviously viewed as premium. It's an expensive supermarket. But actually, their basics are cheap. And they're probably roughly comparable with everyone else. Um, and And they have bougie basics, which is another good gateway drug. So you can get, like basic mozzarella or, or whatever because you absolutely is, need that that's like every yeah, day yeah, yeah. It's a, it is a basic pine nuts actually um but the the key point is that that convinces you to shop there and then you buy a load of a, on the store but you buy a hell of a lot of other expensive stuff along with it because you kind of you get into <laughs> this like oh yeah it's fine because i'm just getting in for bread milk and cheese and that's the same as everywhere else and you come up you come back with <laughs> two bottles of wine premium coffee <laughs> xyz right and it's actually it's an incredibly good marketing play and that's where like competitor price matching works in- incredibly well right in terms of as a as a low entry point to an upsell so yeah yeah cool come get your basics that's great we've got you covered and also when you like this isn't it really nice <laughs> yes mr Waitrose, that is really nice i would like that i have one of those is this a good time <laughs> to tell you that i used to work at Waitrose and stack shelves and uh and when i was at the end of the day you have to bring all the stock to the front of the shelf uh just to just to make it all look nice and clean for and, and 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 tidy for when customers come in the next day and uh one of the items was an ostrich egg that i suddenly came across <laughs> and i accidentally knocked it off the shelf and discovered that you can buy an ostrich egg for about 25 <laughs> quid from the <laughs> so all these essentials that wasn't in the essentials range though uh, i have to say but you know who needs an ostrich egg who who knew right so but yeah it's right it's like you know make sure you i don't know you can't be that far out on bleach 
Okay, so you know, yeah, people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, but yeah. Um, I mean, we had uh, in in a previous existence uh, when we were building pricing tech uh, for manufacturers. One of our customers was an aeronautical um, company, and their bread and butter product was as um, uh, I was going to say W. KD, that's a WD40. <laughs> that's <laughs> that was a that was so a Freudian that's one. That's, a, that's a, uh, a, a flashback to the past, isn't it? On that one, um, and and basically, you know, it's the it's the lubricant for uh, well for bikes and all sorts of things. And people treat that purchase as a commodity play, right? They don't care if they buy it from you or you, but you you get people on the door by competing on price with that. So you might decide to undercut, but you can undercut because you've bought well, you've bought masses of quantities, whereas other people might not necessarily have done that. So you work out what those products are and then other products, which other people might sell, you've got them through the door and then it's like, well, I'm here now, I might as well buy the other products. But you use your data, right, on a mass scale to work out what that yeah. what that is. Yeah, yeah, exactly, okay. exactly that. So when does a price war come into it? the the real problem with if everyone's competitive price matching for me it's like it feels like everyone's spinning plates right and it, it feels like a really delicate balancing act um because if uh, it's uh, it's a flash crash actually it's isn't i don't know for any financial people out there but you can if you're doing it Right. There's two questions. When does it happen in compressive price matching and when does the price will happen? Price will happen for a whole host of reasons, business and otherwise. What's really interesting with competitive price matching strategies is you can start an accidental price war, right? And and that's kind of like, from a pricing perspective, the worst place to be because if you've made a strategic decision that you're going to go hell and high water on, on this product set or whatever, fine. Um, what can happen is that if everyone's price matching, that's fine. But say everyone is saying, I'm going to undercut everyone else by 1%. And everyone is doing that, right? You just spiral down. Say, so I go down one, you go down one, I go down one, you go down one. And then we say, who hits their minimum margin or minimum price first? And then that's where we get stuck. And all the price wars done in the marketplace has is dropped the price by X percent, has probably done nothing in terms of demand, because as you said earlier, there's only a certain number of people buying a product. So really, you've all cost yourself money, right? Straight up. So that that for me is the kind of when we talk about dangers of uh, competitive pricing strategies, it's all about margin sacrifice, like unnecessary margin sacrifice, um, gross margin, I should say, because it's not like you're not discounting to increase volume because everyone's discounting. So the price is just coming down to everyone's just losing money across the board. So I think it comes down, you know, in that that situation, it's almost like who's got the biggest kahunas to keep, to keep going. Uh, and I, I would, I would say it's, it's, you don't you don't win anything in that, in that point of view just because you've got bigger yeah, kahunas. But it, but but also it's um it's whether it's strategic or not because a lot of the time I don't think people realise they're doing it. If if I'm if I'm honest, in the yes, if you're saying all right, we've taken on I don't know ten million in VC backing, and our play is to dominate the marketplace, and we're going to do this. That's the that's what Uber did, right? On the, uh, other cities are available, but in London, <laughs> um, 
they got the black cabbies very angry because they came in, they gave away. I remember when basically you didn't have to pay for a taxi ride because you just bounce um, bounce free free tickets around everyone, and it's still pretty cheap. And that is your classic dominator market play. And it's we said at the start, it's bad for consumers long term because you end up usually with one major player with the deepest pockets. I don't think that's the danger of competitive price matching strategies. I think the danger of competitive price matching strategies is you're doing that without realizing it. Mm. So there's no there's no strategy around it. It's just that we have just our algorithms or our, our pricing behaviors have decided that we're going to discount a good by ten percent for no good reason, right? That that's what because I'm competing in price with you to and if we're similar enough, our cost base is about the same. Right, so we're probably going to hit about the same minimum margin. And say we can both. I'm not talking about like you're going to bully me out the market here. I'm just going to say, just talk about just normal product behavior. We just end up selling less for less, the same amount for less. That nothing else happens out of it. Like I don't go under, you don't go under. <laughs> we don't change products. Demand doesn't change. We sell about the same amount. We just sell it for less money. And we look at each other and go. Okay, right. What do we do now? <laughs> the and, and, and the problem is you can't step out of it, right? Because we, you can't price fix, cause it, but you, you're inadvertently price fixing on the way down, which is kind of hilarious. That's, that's but then the it relies on, one of, relies on one of them to, to increase the price and hope that the other person's automatically repricing off you. And then, you, then, yeah. you, then you're going back up the ladder and then yeah. you come back down the ladder. Uh, so I mean, it's very... It's very um, it's very interesting. I mean, I think to come back to the the fifty percent of the time, it is a right decision to follow, and fifty percent of the time it isn't. That's why I, you know, I don't know if you like this term, but I'm going to say it anyway. I, you can tell me afterwards if you don't like it. It's the whole concept of a price skirmish. I think a price skirmish might be a better way to describe it because absolutely, there's a time where you should have a bit of a skirmish because you know that you're you're trying to win customers and that price. People do decide to buy from that product based on price. It's not a sexy product. It's available in lots of places. People have lots of options to buy it. Therefore, if you, if a competitor of yours changes the price, you have to have a skirmish, and and you have to you have to um you have to follow sometimes, or you have to try and set the price and then see if they follow you back, right? But it's about using the data to then work out. When do I when do I stop doing that and I don't just go into this pit of decline? And also, when when can I make decisions that aren't completely competitor led? Would you agree yeah. with that or disagree with that? I actually I like it because it it's price war is too grandiose for what we're talking about. We're not talking about strategic pricing for want of a better term. We're talking about tactical pricing, just feeling about the marketplace, right? Um, and so it, it is, it's those, li those little like, um, yeah, th those skirmish is quite a good term. Those, li li those little fights you pick, like, oh, I get a bit under, can they move or do they, as we've talked about it before, actually, it's, uh, you can say, so are they efficient enough? Like a lot of the time is, can I, can I take a little bit, can I drop a little bit here and just pick up the volume because they're not paying attention? Um, and you have to respond. Right, you have to respond. Um, but the it, the interesting thing is that if the whole market is moving, I guess rather than players within the market, that's that's the difference. 
nobody's winning, right? Uh, I mean, short term, the consumer's probably winning a bit, but longer term, maybe not, because actually the competitive price music movement says nothing about consumer demand. And I think that that's, that's the, the key bit. It just says about, like you say, who's got the biggest guy? It's you or your competitor. Um, no, we like clever kahunas here. So uh, not, uh, <laughs> not just having big kahunas for the sake of it. So, uh, so maybe that's a good, good segue to go into uh, how, you know, what does it mean to have clever kahunas? Uh, how, do you, how do you avoid uh, these pricing mistakes? What, what, what sort of the 101? Uh, the, the key thing as always is really, I think we say this a lot, but it's data. It's knowing, um, it's, uh, it is, um, it's client, it's client, I've just written what I've, I've read what I've seen on the screen. What it is, is it's, uh, it's about overlaying your data sets, right? So it's understanding your inventory enough to know whether to make a pricing decision or not, whether it's competitor-led or otherwise. It's, it's proper fundamentals, really. Because um, it, it's, I think a lot of what we've been talking about today is just making decisions blindly rather than strategically. Um, and you can do it automatically, but you just have to understand your, you have to build in the rules or the algorithm or however you want to do it to kind of have the nuance of your business need. Because if you're just going out and saying, I'm going to match everyone, um, you just, some of it will work, some of it you have to, but for a lot of it, you probably don't and you're just losing money. So you need to understand, I'd say that which 50% you don't have to do that on and why. And whether actually, if you're dominating those, whether you can invest elsewhere. And how do you shift the, cause the thing we, I don't even going to have time for today, but I think is really interesting is how do I take that 50% that are price led and then force them out of that? Which is an odd thing for someone in a pricing company to say, but it's actually, it's really good. The more products that you can stop being competitor led and then put you in control. So you become the price setter, not the price taker that will let you dominate the market, right? That will let you maximize your margin because you're suddenly making the reason people are buying independent of a pure price decision, which means you're unlikely to end up in this race at the bottom. No, absolutely. And I think it's it's trying to work out within the 50% that it might, you might find out that you do a piece of strategy work which says, hey, if I invest in, in a bit of PPC on Google Shopping, that turns the needle for me and mm-hmm. I can actually be more expensive than the competitor and the money that I invest in Google Shopping in this particular instance might massively be less than than partaking in that particular price war. Okay, and there, there you know, just just as an example of of why sometimes you don't need to follow, right? Um, I think for me, it's it you you we've we've looked at it on on previous webinars and podcasts in terms of how you identify those competitor competitor products in itself. But one of the the really simple ways is to set up your monitoring and have a look over the course of a week, a couple of weeks, and see which products are changing more frequently than others. And that typically means that those products are market-led, are maybe one of the more yeah. commodity-based products. And that that in itself gives you a great sub-segment to say, well, actually, these are, these are my, it might be 50%, it might be plus or minus, but these are the ones that I should absolutely follow on. And then it's doing doing the next the next research of how do I strip out more from that 50%, okay? Um, I mean, some of the other data sets that we use here at, here at Black Curve is looking at your sales history. 
So looking at uh, if competitors undercut you and you don't follow them, so you need a robust structure, robust software in there, like Black Curve, <laughs> to, you know, plug there, <laughs> uh, to help you rapidly and quickly keep a view of that, of if your competitors undercut you, is your sales impacted? And if your sales is not impacted, that would then indicate that people are not making the decision to buy from you based on purely a competitor price. You've invested in other areas, you've invested in the relationship, people trust you, people have loyalty to you. Um, and you know, during the, um, during the pandemic, certainly, competitor pricing it was much less a lot of our decisions were much less related to competitor data because of the supply chain issue and this is mm -hmm. where your stock level data comes in and you know you you touch upon it today that that if your competitor doesn't have stock or and, and you have stock you don't need to follow them right okay so it's, it's it's introducing a whole plethora of other views on your business and 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 applying them to this pricing decision question you know, i mean even the weather might play an impact on it right and yeah. and and you, is huge yeah. right yeah. And, and you might you might be able to to get that to your advantage because i mean we've we've we, one of the stats we said at the beginning is that 67 percent of businesses have some form of price monitoring tool within that it'll be good to find out how many of them are actually doing repricing and what frequency are they doing it are they actually yeah. just are they actually just simply looking at it and then acting on it on an ad hoc basis. And that's when you can start to apply technology to win. Um, and then on the flip side, if 33% of businesses don't have any price monitoring technology, if you're fortunate enough to be in one of those sectors where your competitors haven't invested in it, again, you have an opportunity to, 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 to win and, and land grab there. So, um, so I think, I think we've, covered, we've covered a lot of ground there. I mean, is there anything else that you particularly like to, like to share or end with, Rob? No, I've done the classic thing of starting an interesting thought just in the last five minutes of the podcast i think we'll, we'll, save, we'll save how you move products away from being competitor driven uh but for a, for a later thing but um you just volunteered yourself for a for another another podcast or webinar on that that particular topic <laughs> Rob. so you're two for two now on, on that front so um oh, so thank you very much rob for joining joining me today um we've been tackling the question profit killing competitor pricing mistakes and how to avoid them i think it's important to say that there are there's a 50 50 play here 50 percent of the time you know actually sometimes on average following your competitor is the right thing to do but it's 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 the everything the wrapper around that so what do you do the other 50 percent of the time you've got to make sure that you're using the data sets that you're available that are available to you to make those smart decisions and absolutely do not enter in a price war Okay, right. Okay, avoid it at all costs, unless you want to. Unless you're doing it as a strategic <laughs> play, but I, I still sort of stand here and yeah, say yeah, yeah, that yeah. that's that sort of short term maybe gain and and not 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 long term uh, long term profitability. So, um, so thank you very much. This has been e-commerce matters podcast uh, brought to you by Black Curve. You can find us on Spotify and all all various other uh, media outlets. We're Black Curve. We help businesses make pricing decisions. Thank you.